I'm Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril. Tell your story. Author. Psychologist. Musician. Listen to Dr. Karen to encourage your life. I'm all about taking charge, taking charge of your thoughts, taking charge of your life. I say it every week and how sometimes when we have intense emotions, we can get caught ruminating and obsessing. And we've looked at the research and how that actually doesn't help us at all. In fact, it keeps us stuck and it keeps us depressed rather than helping move us forward. Single is the new black. Don't wear white till it's right. Very important. Very important. What are they doing to keep that excitement and that in love love feeling? Channel a path to a more authentic you. Okay, this week, fight all you want, but whenever you fight, you have to hold hands. Learn how to have true intimacy. Yeah, bottle that up and sell it. (laughs) We want to make sure that the activities we're doing together are charging us up, getting us excited, giving us pleasurable feelings, and then helping us stay attracted to one another. Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Love and life. I'm all about living authentically and finding the best version of you and living life to its fullest. Turn up your dial. Get connected. You're listening to Dr. Karen on Love and Life right now. Welcome to Dr. Karen Love and Life. Hi there. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I'm a psychologist, author, speaker, former professor, and musician. You might know me from my latest book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. On Love and Life, we cover it all. We look at how to have true intimacy in romantic relationships, more meaningful friendships, healthier family connections, more fulfilling careers, And we delve into what psych research teaches us about living happy, hopeful, positive, and authentic lives. This week on Love & Life, it's time to talk parenting. So parenting is a topic I haven't touched on yet, and it's one that I think is so important and we all care about parenting, whether we're parents ourselves or whether we're working with kids, because if you're a teacher and you're not a parent but you're working with kids, your kids are affected by the parenting that they're experiencing. And of course, we all kind of reflect back on the parenting that we received. Even in relationships, we have conversations about how our spouse or our partner has been affected by the parenting that they encountered growing up. So parenting is such an important topic. And so I'm really excited to address it today. And also my doctorate is in developmental psychology. So that's the branch of psychology that looks at the entire lifespan. So not just looking at kids, but looking at how we change in the way that we think and behave from birth all the way up to old age. So I, as a developmental psychologist, have been very interested in parenting along the way. And because I'm a psych nerd, as you know, I am the kind of person who's going to randomly pick up a book on parenting just because I find it interesting. Yes, people, that is my pleasure reading on the beach this summer. It is (laughs) developmental psych books. Also, my dissertation was on family relationships and how that affects young adult development, which we will actually spend an entire podcast episode talking about my dissertation someday. Quit yawning. I will make it fun and interesting, I promise. Just looking at parenting is as a topic that I think we're, we'll spend many podcasts talking about, of course, but uh, I wanted to kind of provide a foundation on parenting because it's something I haven't covered yet. And we get a lot of feedback from listeners. Thank you so much. Keep those emails coming. I love hearing your thoughts and hearing your questions and finding out which topics you're really resonating with. And some of the feedback that we get is that Listeners love it when my husband shows up on the program. 
which I get it because I love him too. And so that's been really great feedback. Thank you again. And so to talk about parenting, I thought it would make a lot of sense to invite Dan back on the show. Dan is a father of three. So again, he's got some thoughts and opinions and experience in the parenting realm. So Dan, welcome to Love and Life. Hi, darling. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, darling. Thank you. Good, good. Appreciate your willingness to come and share with listeners about parenting. Sure, happy to happy to do it. I'm not sure that I'm an expert, but I'm not sure that any of us are experts when no. it comes to parenting. We can all learn something, and uh, so it'll be fun to talk about. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that we will cover in the sense that I think most people want to be good parents, obviously. I shouldn't say most people. Everyone wants to be a good parent, right? But I think that no one quite has a handle on it entirely. And it seems wise to always avail ourselves of the research and what experts are, are finding out to be true and what experience and research can teach us to help us all do better. Hi, my name is Dina, and I listen to Dr. Karen, Love and Life in Chicago. So to set the foundation for parenting, I want to share with listeners some research that's been around in the developmental literature for quite a while, since the 60s actually, and it's research done by a psychologist named Diana Baumrind. And she established parenting styles, and this was really some of the first wave of research that was really devoted to parenting and trying to analyze what makes a good parent, what makes a cruddy parent. If we can figure this out, can we then help parents who are desperate to be better, can we give them some tools for achieving parenting success? So Diana Baumrind came up with her model, which has essentially two dimensions of parenting. So she basically says all parents can be analyzed based on two dimensions, which right away I'm like, good, because two is easy. That's two. We can figure that out. They keep it simple. And yet, of course, like many, many things, it's very simple, but it's very robust in terms of what we can learn from her model. So Baumrind's two dimensions are responsiveness and demandingness. And responsiveness is the warmth, the affection, the hugs and kisses, the attention, the support, all that love we give the kiddos and, and just all the hugs and the, you're so great and come over here and give me, give me sugar and all that love and tenderness that we give children. And then her second dimension is demandingness. And this is the part of parenting that is high expectations, structure, discipline, consequences for behavior for the when the kid does something wrong and really Baumrein says that's it you're going to have parents and they're going to be doing some responsiveness and some demandingness and we can understand their parenting style if we just take stock of both of these dimensions so initially Baumrein came up with three parenting styles and subsequent researchers added a fourth just to flesh out the model the first style that we're going to talk about is authoritarian and the authoritarian parent has low levels of responsiveness and high levels of demandingness. So remember, this is the parent now who is not giving a lot of warmth, affection, hugs and kisses, attention, support, but is giving a lot of demandingness, a lot of high expectations, lots of structure, lots of rigid discipline and consequences. So we could think of this as a drill sergeant type parent. There's not a lot of warmth, love, tenderness, and a lot of high expectation. And I'll tell you a little bit more in just a moment about what happens when kids are under that type of parenting style. The second parenting style is what we call permissive indulgence. So this is low levels of demandingness 
and high levels of responsiveness. So not a whole lot of expectation, not a whole lot of consequences, not a whole lot of discipline in the home. Lots of love and you're so great and lots of affection and a ton of warmth and that sort of thing, but not a whole lot of expectation in the home. The third type of parenting style is permissive and different. This is where we have low levels of both. So we have low levels of demandingness and low levels of responsiveness. So this is a kid that's essentially neglected because no one's giving them a lot of love, nor is anyone giving them a whole lot of expectations and and standards that they're expected to meet. And then the fourth parenting style is what Baumrind called authoritative. And these are parents who have high levels of demandingness, high expectations, lots of discipline, lots of consequences and structure, and then they'll also accompanied by high levels of responsiveness. So lots of love, lots of kisses, lots of tenderness and affection. And as you probably can guess, the authoritative parenting style has been shown through lots of research to be the best as far as the outcomes and the experience for children in many, many realms in terms of self-esteem, in terms of academic performance. Kids thrive in an authoritative context. Dan, your turn. Well, that was a lot. (laughs) No, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think all of us have seen parents that match all four styles and the ones that are really in the game, you know, that are present, that have those high achieving kids too, frankly, you seem to be the ones that have those high expectations, but that also are warm and that show that love. Right. If, if you were choosing a parent, right. right, choosing a parent as a mature person, right? If I, if I you know, was growing up, what kind of parent would I like? That would be the one, truly. You wouldn't want one to be too permissive and certainly not pay attention to you because we know how that turns out. Mm-hmm. And, and there's too many of those parents out there right now, certainly. So. Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, on that note, I'll, I'll talk about the research a little bit in terms of the outcomes that we see with kids, how they behave when they're raised under these different parenting styles. But I'll have you guess. That'll be kind of fun. So when we think about the authoritarian, that's the drill sergeant parent, right? So high levels of demandingness and low levels of responsiveness. What do you imagine those kids experience when they're like, how do they, you think they do academically? How do you think they do with friends socially and, and that sort of thing? Any guesses? Well, I would think, you know, they may be high achievers, but they probably are not social because they would regress a little socially because they're not seeing that model from their parents. So yeah. um, that would be my guess. I don't know if I'm You nailed I'm it. Close. Oh my gosh. You get like A++ in developmental psych. It's amazing. No, seriously, you totally nailed it because they actually do. They don't tend to be rebellious because they're scared. You know, they got the drill sergeant at home. Like they're terrified and they actually do well in school typically because again, if they bring home anything less than an A minus, they're going to get it. But they do tend to be very anxious, no surprise. And they tend to be fearful in general. When you look at these kids in the playground, they're less likely to initiate friendships or to try to connect, initiate even like playing, like with a new group of friends. They're the ones who are kind of timid with friends. So Sure, sure. Well, they're not getting that connection. And as we talked about, it's not modeled in their home, what she calls responsiveness, I guess, or, or affection or just interaction, right? Exactly. I should say positive interaction, kind interaction, warm interaction. Right. Yeah. You nailed it. How about those permissive indulgent kids? Again, just as a reminder, these are the kids who have high levels of responsiveness, but low levels of demandingness. So they get tons of affection and warmth, but 
they don't have much expectation. What do you? What's your guess with them? Well, they probably become narcissists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they. Yeah. I think when you get that early self-importance without doing anything, right? Right. Then unearned. Unearned, right? Yeah. Then they feel entitled. They're easily the victim because it's all about them. Yeah. Because right? it, it always has been. The world revolves around them. So. Yeah. No. And that's what the research shows. That that. I mean, essentially, you you look at that kid. And you're like, well, that's the spoiled brat. And so that, of course, affects them in all realms, right? It affects their social relationships because kids get annoyed when the kid who thinks he's above the rules when they're playing kickball or whatever, you know, sure, that sort right. of thing. So these kids, yeah, they don't tend to do so well. Hi, I'm Miriam Connor, and I listen to Dr. Karen Love and Life in Cleveland, Ohio. Permissive indifferent, again, low levels of both. So that's the kid who doesn't have any expectations but doesn't have a lot of warmth. You know, kind of like what we used to talk about in the 70s, like the latchkey kid, they basically sure. neglected. What's your guess about that? Well, I would guess, you know, these days, certainly that that would be a gamer. Somebody would resort if, they are, if they're not getting much attention and they're not being watched much. I, I would think they probably spend several hours doing video games and aren't too social. And maybe right. the group of friends that they tend to to associate with would be maybe similar to them. Sure. Know, that have pretty, yeah. I guess, parents that aren't present. Yeah, and again, the research, um, I don't know anything about the gaming per se, but that's a really interesting yeah, component to consider uh, because now the screens can be the babysitters. Sure. And they can be essentially the parent, which is kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, well, that that'll be, that would be their fill-in for social activity, right? Which we know is not an equal replacement for actual face-to-face -face interaction <laughs> no. with people. <laughs> no, the screen is not a warm body and <laughs> certainly not a warm, loving parent. <laughs> and like we talked about, the authoritative parenting style tends to produce children who have the best outcomes socially. Because like you're saying, and you really, you, you really hit on a really important point, when you are responding to your child and the warmth and affection and the tenderness and the relationship you cultivate, essentially, you're modeling that. So now the kid knows, hey, I can be successful in relationships. I have a great relationship with my dad. You know, He listens to me, pays attention. You're sh showing your kid how to do that for the friends that they're going to meet. They then learn, I can be a good listener. I can be a friend because I've learned that foundational relationship at home. And then, of course, they tend to do better academically because there's expectations. It's like, yes, I love you, but I also expect a lot of you because I love you. And that's what I think a lot of parents are missing nowadays, don't you? No, I, I think so. I think you're right. And, and by the way, if anyone is hearing um, <laughs> ears flapping and meows, uh, we have a full room of, of our creatures, two dogs and a cat. That's real. Is this, a, <laughs> is this indulgent for, it, it might be a for baby parenting? Yes, I, I think this might be permissive indulgent <laughs> that the, the fur babies are in the studio. <laughs> So, so just to continue this conversation, one of the things that, that strikes me is when we think about intentional parenting, you know, I'm calling this episode intentional parenting. I wonder sometimes if parents don't always get super intentional about why they're having kids in the first place. And I was thinking about this today as I was preparing for the podcast. I thought, sadly, many of us just go through the motions. We obviously were raised in a family of some sort. And so then we go, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to check the marriage box and then I'll check the have kids box. But what's the point? Yeah. What are you really trying to do? And sadly, I think some people... I mean, I don't want to simplify it because it sounds kind of harsh, but like, I think some people are like, well, I have some babies because, you know, that's what biology wants me to do. And I'll dress up my girl in a cute little princess outfit. And, you know, but there's not this like, like, what is the point? And, and I think sometimes parents aren't really 
getting that, like getting that there needs to be a point here that I think some people are like, oh, yeah, it'd be great just to, you know, have the joy of family. And, and, and then when kids are hard and tough and annoying, they're like, where's the joy of parenting? <laughs> I thought it was supposed to be joyful. <laughs> you know, instead of realizing that really, to my mind, the point of being a parent is to raise healthy, productive citizens who contribute to society. <laughs> sure it is. Well, and, and it's a little self-serving. There's no question because, you know, a lot of people have, you know, maybe a, a natural want to have kids, but part of it may be in their own image, right? And that, you know, they A mini me. Yeah, a mini me. And and then they want to to be able to have their shot at molding that piece of clay, right? Sure. And, hey, see, look what I did. Look how great my kid is. And, you know, that's a little, you know, self-serving, but I hope that everybody is taking it as seriously as, as they can and trying to to mold and help make the best child that they can even though that you know, it takes a village, but we're, we're all products of our environment. So I don't have an answer, certainly, to why everybody has kids. I'm sure there's a lot of different answers. but And I'm good with the idea of molding and shaping the next generation. I mean, I think that's an admirable reason to have kids. You know, you have values that you believe are contributing to society in a positive way. Sure. And so you want to have that chance to have a legacy, so to speak, right? Because you're you value hard work and treating people kindly and, and love and forgiveness. Those are great values that you want to impart and and leave to the next generation. So I'm good with that part of the molding. And the mini me, I get it, you know. <laughs> like I, I think there's probably some primordial like again, very deep-seated like biological mandate and and and, and impulse to to procreate. I mean, sure. I, I get that yeah, too. Yeah. Like you want to see a little mini version of you. But I guess what I'm seeing now with a lot of parents that's troubling is that, yeah, you want to pass on values, but I'm like, what values? It's funny because Miriam, who was on my podcast, you know, my BFF podcast a while ago, Dan knows Miriam, but I'm just reminding listeners how to remain besties throughout the lifetime. She is a, a parent, and actually she's starting a podcast herself called Apparently Speaking because she has a lot of strong opinions about parenting and she just looks around and, you know, even things like that bother her about this generation, like kids' t-shirts that'll be like, I'm the best or, you know, I'm crushing it. Like you were saying, a sense of entitlement. I'm this great thing. I'm this great creature. And it's like, no, you're loved, but no one is great just because you showed up on the planet. We right. all need to be good, solid citizens. We need to be good people. We need to contribute. We need to do, do our part and do our share. And then we're great. We don't just get great just because we showed up because someone had sex and here I am. You know. Well, and we've talked before about child-centered family versus a parent-centered family. And I'm sure that the research shows that, that a family that's based around a strong marriage is is going to be a much more, much higher functioning, happier family than one that is child-centered. The child certainly doesn't have the maturity or the wherewithal to lead a family, right? And so certainly shouldn't revolve around that child. I mean, you're really, again, honey, you just have great instincts on this stuff because I don't think you wrote a dissertation on family dynamics, but you... I did not. You did not, but you know this stuff. In family systems theory, we talk about different subsystems within the family. And so what you're talking about, a parent-focused family. And in family systems, we actually even say a marriage-focused. So we talk about the subsystem of the marriage and then the marital subsystem is the husband and the wife. And then the parenting subsystem, same people, right? Typically, the fa father and the mother, right? right? But the, the marriage has to be at the top of the hierarchy for optimal functioning. Because when the marriage is strong, it trickles down throughout the family. Uh, one way I've heard it put, the number one job of a father is to love the mother of his children. Not to be a great dad. Initially, people, like, they'll really push back on that. They're like, wait, he's supposed to be, he's got to be involved with his kids. Yes, he does, all of that. But the number one job 
of a father is to love the mother of his children. What does that do for the young men that he's raising, his, his sons? Great example. Right. How to treat women. How to treat women. What does it do for his daughters? They're like, I'm not going to marry someone unless he's crazy about me and treats me wonderfully like dad treats mom. Do you see? So, yeah. So you're really hitting the nail on the head and the research shows that and family systems has a ton, a ton of theory and therapeutic tools to back that up to really help strengthen families. But we see a lot of very kid centric families right now. Yeah. If you don't mind me saying, I think one of the issues you know, started back in the 60s and with a book that was written by Dr. Spock. And, and I don't mean to pile on Dr. Spock, but he had a very difficult childhood. So one of his reactions to that was to to write this book that was really the completely opposite of a strict household. And, you know, as you said, an authoritative household at high love, high expectation is the ultimate, but he didn't have that. And so he went completely the other way and wrote this book that sold 50 million copies that was all about permissiveness and all about enabling the child not having really a lot of expectations, not having consequences. And so so I really think that that has filtered down through society. And now we see so many young people that are disrespectful, yep. you know, that don't want any pressure. God forbid there was pressure, right? <laughs> and, you know, when we, you know, they don't want any expectations. You know, there are certain ages where certain types of pressure are appropriate here and there. But but pressure is, you know, as you as you grow a little older, that it makes you be a more confident person. It prepares you for life because uh, all the ups and downs give you a little thicker skin. You know, pressure is good. I mean, it, it sucks in the moment. Yeah, <laughs> it, it does. Right. You know, but it makes us all stronger. You're listening to Dr. Karen Anderson Abril on Love and Life. Go to our website, drkarin dot me. That's www drkaren.me. Have any questions or would like to share your story with Dr. Karen, email her, karen, K-A-R-I-N, at drkaren.me. Well, I've said for years that, yeah, as much as I love my discipline, that I, I worry that developmental psychologists have been part of the problem. Because, yeah, we're so focused on these fragile psyches of these fragile little babies. And again, the assumption of fragility. Why do we assume kids are so yeah. fragile? When we know, and I've talked about it in Love and Life, we know that the only way that we get to be strong, the only way that we get to have a high self-esteem, we're so worried about self-esteem, but the only way to get that is to set goals and reach them. And you can't set a goal and reach it if you're so, the pressure, I can't take the pressure. <laughs> I mean, life, newsflash, life is full of pressure. Life yeah. entails anxiety. It's inherent to living. Yeah and, so. yeah, and once you get through it, then all of a sudden you've changed. Right. Yeah, you know that you can do it. You know, most things are not as bad as, as that you think that right. they are, that you make, you make them out in your head to be. That's part of maturing. And, yeah. And, and making you a more well-rounded person, so. And you know, what's interesting is parents, many parents now believe that they are helping their kid. You know, they're just, but what they're doing is infantilizing the child and look at it this way you know these parents who are like basically doing the science fair project right or writing the paper all you're communicating to your kid is that you don't believe in them you're like flat out yes. telling them you don't think you are you're like i'm just i'm an involved parent i'm helping no what you're telling your kid is you child can't cut it you can't do this assignment sorry you need a parent to to help you always and then we wonder why they're 29 years old living in your basement Mm -hmm. You've told them in a million different ways throughout their development that they can't handle life on their own. 
So why would they think that they could? No, that's a great point. You have to reframe it. As a parent, you have to reframe it. Every time you, you have that impulse to help your child, reframe it and think to yourself, am I helping or am I communicating that they are incapable? And that's a good way to check yourself. Right. And you know, it seems in society today that the word expectation is more of a negative connotation than a positive these days. And I, I, just right. don't, I don't know why it just can't be more the glass half full. You know, high expectations. The child has high expectations of themselves. Yeah. You know, the parents have high expectations, realistic expectations, hopefully. Yeah. And then you, you meet those. And if you don't meet, meet those, you learn from it. And you try again. And then, as you said, I, mean, I love I love the, the research about setting a goal and reaching it. Right. You know, because that's so powerful. And we all know that even right. even today, even, you know, I wrote down a, a list of, you know, my game plan that I, I write every every day. And I was able to, to, to check off all but one, you know, out of the 25. And I'm like, you know, that's a pretty good day. Yeah, right. You know? exactly. right. These right. are my expectations. And right. so so I'm doing that at my age, for goodness sake, you know, right. and, and it feels good. It has to. Right. It has to be a positive influence on on young people when they do set ex- expectations and reach them or come close to reaching them and move on with life. I love how you talk about that, because growing up, there were so many times that I was so irritated by the expectations. Like in our family, there were things like, well, Anderson's don't do that. Or Andersons always do this. I mean, we had a lot of family rules that weren't they weren't like printed out on the fridge, but they were understood. Yeah, and they were yeah. Andersons didn't sign up for soccer and quit after three weeks because they didn't like the coach. Guess what? You signed up for the season. You're playing the season. I mean, there were a lot of rules that Andersons <laughs> did. And at the time, I'd be like, oh, I just want to not <laughs> be an Anderson right now. <laughs> I want to be that family where they let the kids be slackers. <laughs> but you know, gosh, man, looking back now, I'm so thankful. Because that gave me not only an identity of like, I'm an Anderson, but it also gave me like, we just don't do that. We don't do things haphazard. We don't do things halfway. We commit, we see through, we have discipline. I mean, all those great values. Again, getting back to why are we parents? Are you trying to impart values that are positive and that make not just your kid, but the world a better place? Or you just want to let, let your kid just like do whatever, do the bare minimum. Parents are setting the bar so low and the kids are picking up on it. Well, and, and you hear these days too, I just want my kid to be happy. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> my kid to be happy. <laughs> I, I hate that. And now everyone's like, why does Dr. Karen hate for children to be happy? <laughs> Keep talking about it. I'll explain. <laughs> well, no. Well, for one, you know, happiness is not a place, right? And, and so it's not the parent's job to make the child happy or to help them be happy. You know, you have to find that. And part of that is, is the, you know, setting the goal and reaching it. Right. Living life through experiences and, and creating your own happiness happiness your social network with experience in life for goodness sake well right and taking a shortcut exactly who of us who's past the age of 30 for example would say that your your most profound moments of growth came when you were on the mountaintop blissfully happy no that would be a no your most profound moments of growth and maturity came where from the trenches Mm -hmm. from the valleys so for a parent to say i just want my kid to be happy if your kid is happy all the time, your kid is worthless. That's a quote. That's a Dr. Karen quote. <laughs> I'm going to scratch that. Don't put that on the fridge. <laughs> no, but the point is, and you know, it's interesting you say that because recently I was listening to a podcast that uh, my friend had referred me to. And this woman was talking about, you know, we have this almost epidemic of anxiety nowadays. You know, we were kind of talking sure, about that. That's right. And she is this uh, millennial. She's probably like late 20s, early 30s. 
And she's kind of tracing her own anxiety. And she goes, you know, we were the first generation of kids that were raised. We just want you to be happy. And she's like, I pretty much am always taking my happiness pulse. Like, am I happy now? Am I happy? Wait, I'm supposed to be happy. That's what mom and dad wanted for me, just to be happy. And, you know, honestly, no one's fully all that happy in your 20s. Your 20s are rough. I mean, they're rough because you're figuring it all out. And really, the more that you figure it out and do the work in your 20s, the better life will be in your 40s. If you rush it and try to get to the mountaintop in your in your 20s without just taking the hard knocks of walking through those valleys, your 40s are probably going to be the rougher, the rougher <laughs> yeah. decade for you. <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard it put this way. The more you rush life in your 20s, the more it's going to suck in your 40s. <laughs> so again, it sounds harsh, but no, we don't want to remove periods of unhappiness from our kids. We want them to learn. You can feel down. You can feel depressed. You can feel horrible. And guess what? The next day, it's not that bad. But if you're always keeping them with that safety net, preventing them from having that low moment, they'll never learn, you know what? I can get through those low moments and I'll be stronger, better, and more mature for them. Right. And, and you mentioned anxiety. Yeah. You know, life is full of anxiety. Yeah. You know, it, Newsflash again. <laughs> right. Pressure, anxiety, I guess, you know. Yeah. So you can't avoid it. So, yeah. and, and you can't just, just medicate it, right? So no. the more experience you have with it, you know, reasonable pressure and anxiety, once again, at a, you know, through childhood, the more balanced adult that you'll be. Yeah. And, and the better you'll be for then, like we talk about love and life, you know, the better you'll be in relationship. Right. You know, honestly, you and I have a strong marriage, but partly because we both had some hard knocks. Right. And we didn't just go to the drive-through window and try to bypass all the hurt and pain even though that's, of course, a natural desire. But we sat with it and we learned how to manage it and how to use it as a tool to be better, to be more happy, more hopeful and positive. And that's like you're saying, and we've talked about extensively and I've talked about on the podcast before, but that's one of the strengths we have because I know that those dark moments I may have, I can get through them and and they're not going to define me. And I'm not going to let them take me down for forever. I, mean, I might get knocked down, but you know, but it's not the end of the fight, right? Well said. <laughs> yeah. And so that then is, is a gift I give to you and a gift you give to me is that we manage our own emotions and then walk hand in hand stronger together, of course, but also not trying to have either of us lean so much on the other person that it becomes their responsibility to prop us up <laughs> in life. Right, right. Well, you got to create your own happiness. Hi, I'm Michelle from Valparaiso, Indiana, and I listen to Dr. Karen Love and Life. So as always, I want to leave listeners with a love and life hack. And my love and life hack for parenting involves that reframe. That's a psychological term we use in therapy when we take a situation and we reframe it so that we can see it from another vantage point. So to parents, the hack is every time you have that impulse to help, take a moment, reframe it. Are you actually helping your kid? Are you actually being supportive right there? Or are you communicating to your kid that you don't believe in them and you believe that they're incapable of doing something on their own? The job of a parent is to work yourself out of a job. You want to create a child who no longer needs you. And the beauty of that is that when you have raised a child from childhood to adulthood, eventually, like in the late 20s, early 30s, you get to be friends. Instead of having the 29-year-old still hanging out in your basement. <laughs> <laughs> you do not want that. 
<laughs> right. So reframe that help and make sure that it's actually being helpful and not being hurtful. You can find me at my website, www.drkaren.me. And that's Karen with an I. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. Facebook is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Instagram, Dr. Karen. And I'd love to hear from you. You can email me your story or ask me a question at karen at drkaren.me. Thanks for subscribing and liking the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can also find us on Stitcher and Spreaker at Dr. Karen Love and Life. If you head over to my website, please sign up for my Love and Life newsletter. I send out one or two emails a month just letting you know what we're covering on the podcast, what I'm blogging about, and any appearances I might be making. You can also take a listen to my music, which is available on iTunes. Please let me know if you have any topics you want me to cover. I want this to be your show as much as it is mine. Thanks to my producer, Michelle Musso, and my communications manager, Dale Gregory. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, make it a great week. <laughs>